0: Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, a brand new podcast dedicated to Everton Football Club from the Athletic. I'm Greg O'Keefe, and each week myself and Paddy Boyland will bring you the very latest news and insights from Goodison Park, including breaking news and big name guests. Today we'll be discussing Marco Silva's future at the club. Has time finally run out on his spell in charge? And if he does go, who could we see replacing? Could it mean a return for David Moyes? Plus, we'll be bringing you our team of the decade. Afternoon, Pat. How are you doing? Episode
1: one. It's been an, an interesting few days, and it's an interesting context in which we start our,
0: our first Everton podcast on The Athletic, isn't it? We envisage just, you know, a sort of relaxed hour or half hour talking about our favourite players the last decade. It hasn't quite panned out that way, really, initially, has it? Well,
1: no, I was I was expecting, like you, to be able to spend about half an hour just waxing lyrical about Leighton Baines. <laughs> and maybe not necessarily just his football <laughs> ability as well, but we we will ac- obviously have to talk on other things we will talk about the team of the decade as well so should be an interesting first podcast
0: i think no definitely i think probably the the talking points on most blues lips since saturday w- when you were there at Grissom park um is is it all over for, for marco Silva now or is there a way back and um We've got some information regarding that, that that's coming from the club this morning or early this morning.
1: Yeah, the, the situation, is, as we understand it from Everton, is, is that Marco Silva will take charge of Sunday's game against yeah. Leicester City. Um, he wasn't at the club on Monday. The players and Silva himself, they were given a few days off to recover from the defeat against yeah. Norwich but he did take charge on Tuesday Mm -hmm. of a full training session and it's now full steam ahead to that game against Leicester, obviously another really big, important game for
0: Everton. It was reported quite a few places yesterday, including the Athletic, um, that the board were at least discussing his future, that that was very much on the agenda. I mean, I guess this is one for both of us really, but when do you think they're going to make a decision? You've just said that he's going to be in charge for Leicester. It seems... It almost seems cruel to drag it out. If Is, is he on a game-by-game game basis, do you think?
1: I think it's a really interesting question, and I think we almost kind of need to drum down on that detail a little bit more ourselves. If we work our way back to Saturday, yeah, I was kind of taking it on a day-by-day day basis myself in terms of how we reported this. I know you yeah. were yourself. My understanding... From inside Goodison Park on Saturday was that that change wasn't imminent, even though there was kind of there was a feeling of being shell shocked yeah. around the club after that defeat. I don't think anybody expected them to lose to Norwich, and quite simply, I think it was it, it was expected that they would win and they would soldier on. Yeah, S- Silver would kind of get through this kind of run of games, and I don't know about you, but I've seen Everton try to give them a lot of opportunities. I feel mm-hmm. as though. Even when we've asked the questions ourselves over the past few months in difficult situations, there's never been a a real sense, a tangible sense that he was likely to go and that his job was under serious pressure. I think now it was described to to you, wasn't it, as being precarious by by another source. Um, And it is a case now of them evaluating their options and seeing what comes next. But he soldiers on. He soldiers on and he's there for that game against Leicester. The, the situation will be governed by how they get on. I, th- I think the moment at which Everton Everton's board of directors feel Silver has lost those players, he's mm. a dead man walking. Mm. Now, obviously, there was a, a reaction from the crowd, but I still don't think Luca Dean, Richarlison, key players at Everton... Have yet bought out of this project, and that might biden him a little bit more time as well. If it happens over the next few weeks, against Leicester, against Liverpool, and he loses a couple more games, then of course the situation's precarious.
0: He may well be even yeah. on, on even thinner ice. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it was interesting seeing on Twitter this morning the photographs. I think some mischievously were trying to suggest he was on his way out of Everton today. He was actually coming back to Merseyside from Lisbon, where he, where he'd been ostensibly for all, for all we know at this stage, uh, just to, they had Sunday and Monday off uh, and him and Po Boamorte obviously from the same part of the world. So as far as we know, just going going home to mm-hmm. uh, maybe let off some steam and just perhaps see family. But you never know. Um, it's, I, I, again, I can care what you're saying. It's never really felt until now that his job's under genuine threat because I think there's people at, at the club, particularly Mishiri, who, who are really aware of not being a club. Well, I mean, we already are, unfortunately, a firing yeah. club, but not being a club that, that chops and changes managers as ridiculously uh, frequently as, say, Watford. But when you get to that situation where it's toxic, let's be honest, on Saturday, it leaves you with fewer choices. Um, personally, my opinion, is, you know, I'm sort of glad that they haven't made a knee-jerk change because of 90 minutes, however bad it was against Norwich, you know, it may well be, you know, what starts the beginning of the end, if you like. But, unless they have a a real bona fide alternative, I think he should be able to, the consistency of his preparation should be able to go ahead to Leicester. And then the derby is disastrous timing. But, you know, (laughs) and I'm not drunk, it could, on the flip side, be the game that absolutely turns it all around. We'll we'll see, who knows. What what do you reckon has gone wrong? I mean, we've had to go and sort of think about this for our piece for the the site tomorrow, but was he simply never up for the job? Is it recruitment? You know, where'd you start?
1: I I still think that although Silva has had his sins, there have kind of been a multitude of other problems here. Yeah. It's almost a little bit reductive to lay the blame solely at his feet. I think tactically, he's maybe not getting the most out of the players at the moment and, and that's something... I've definitely penned, I know you've penned, similar thoughts on this as well. I don't think he's maximizing the resources at his disposal. Yeah. That being said, I remember writing an end of window review for the Athletic site in August, in which I think I was a little bit more critical of yeah. the business Everton did the most. Yeah. Some of the questions kind of coming back to me after that were, Marcel Brands has done a fantastic job, he's got Moise and all these kinds of players and I'm not actually making a comment on what Brands is doing, but what I'm saying is there are still notable glaring gaps in this squad. You look at centre-half, they've only got three centre-backs, two of whom don't seem to complement in Mean and Keener. Elsewhere, there's, there are three or four young promising strikers, but I'd argue there's not a bona fide experienced goal-scorer at a mm. Premier League level. And these are hurdles that Silva has had to overcome. He's had to Sorry, overcome yeah. injuries as well. And I don't think necessarily he's been particularly fortunate with what's being bestowed upon him in terms of the squad and, and some of the players. So it is a gradual process, quite simply. as yes, I see it as a gradual process. I see it as, you look at this squad, it contains remnants of the Moyes era all the way through. Yeah. I mean, w- one, of, one of my friends, Matt Jones, over on the Blue Room, calls it a Frankenstein squad. <laughs> and that's actually the best definition I've, ever, I've seen yet for this Everton squad, because it just contains all these remnants from different areas, yeah. and it's hard to get aside playing cohesively, so yes, I do believe silver is yeah. partially to blame for this, and may actually have to shoulder a lot of the blame, but he's far from the only one here i don't know if you agree
0: no, I do, and also he he became manager, and let 's not suggest he he spent a lot of money as well, but he didn't have the unbridled and lavish spending, probably a good thing that that Cooman had, so his attempts to make really eke it out in his image. Uh, he's been look. He was able to sign. Um, Mine's gone blank. O- only our uh, poor, uh, Brazilian striker who bangs him in. He was able to sign Richarlison, uh, and he was able to bring in players that, that you know he wanted to do in terms of Andre Gomez and, and players like that. But there are still elements, like you say, there. It's a good good sort of metaphor for it—the Frankenstein squad. So almost an age, not not austerity, but almost an age of being a lot more careful with money under his watch than it has been. Really under Cooman and I spent like forty five million in one January window on Tosin didn't he and, and bringing in Theo Walcott and you know it hasn't really worked convincingly for, for either player I, so. I think I think Towson
1: actually is is a case in point when i when I talk about this squad and the kind of the contradictions within it and and again, this is something I wrote on the athletic I think if you give him ten chances in comparison to some of the other central striking options, he's probably the one that will get you the most goals. He's, yeah. he's actually a good natural finisher, Cenk Tosin. But paradoxically, he is also the one who is least suited to playing within that system. Yeah. The high press, the fast press, fast transitions, all those kinds of stuff. He's, he's kind of big and he's burly and he puts himself about but he's not great at spinning the other way. He's not good at pressing the ball. Mm. In a recent game that I was at, at Southampton, Tom Davis was regularly gesticulating with him to to go and press the ball mm. in the way that Silver wants. And that there's the contradiction there for me. You've got a, a, a goal scorer, but a goal scorer that's not set up to to yeah. play in the system. And he's chopped and changed with the number nine now, or the in quotation marks the number nine, the centre forward. And they've had four options already so far this season. Calvert-Lewin, Keane, Tosin, and even Richarlison, who I don't think at the moment is a centre-forward. And mm. that's symptomatic, I think. I think he's still struggling to find his best way forward yeah. with the uh, players at his disposal.
0: I totally agree. And, and the players at his disposal, I would suggest the signing of Moisa Keane I hasn't done him any favours in the short term either. And I think, from what we understand, that was, although he, he was happy... To go ahead with it, it wasn't his first option, and it, and it was a player that brands valued for factors beyond just his his current um, ability in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. It was his potential sell-on value, his age, and all those things coming into making him a good signing for a, a club operating under a slightly different financial model than Cumin was operating mm-hmm. under. Where he bought three three number tens, and and Keane really what he what what he needed and what he wanted was a Manzukic, a player who could come in. Maybe be have the experience level and the ability to hit the ground running and score goals. And Keane's got done neither of those things. And that hasn't helped him. And you're right, Tosin is a misnomer in terms of how he wants to play. So it's a lot of pressure on Calvert-Lewin. And yeah, it it doesn't help at all, does it?
1: You asked the question as well, why Marco Silva would want a player like Mario Mandzukic. And for Mm -hmm. me, it's quite clear. So much of Everton's play is channeled down the flanks, particularly with Luca Dean but now also Jabriel Sidibe lots of crosses come into the box yeah so it's almost like you need a mobile target man to get on the end of those crosses yeah. and I think that's why Dominic Calvert-Lewin's had so many opportunities yeah. I, I still think he's got vast potential if, if everything clicks and he's only 22 but I think that's why Silva likes him so much because yeah. he's almost I think he is probably the best fit yeah. with Richarlison for those central striking roles he gets on the end of crosses and not getting Manzukic, but getting Moise Keane has almost, I, I'd say, set them back in the short term vision. Maybe long term, this might still be something that works out for Everton because Moise Keane was Italy's highest regarded young striking talent. Yeah. But in the short term, Everton are kind of playing catch up there. And I think Silver is. And that is part of the crux of the issue for me.
0: I agree. If he does go, like, who can we expect to replace him? I mean, can we really see Moyes back in the dugout? Of Goodison. What would the fans make of that? Who else in the frame? The bookies talk about Eddie Howe. We've, you and I have chatted about Arteta and spoken to people about that. Rafael Benitez, obviously in China at the moment, their season is coming to a close. Um, what's, your, what's your gut telling you? Moise was bespoken of as an interim option, wasn't he? But what do you think?
1: I think the first thing to say is that maybe Everton themselves are unsure at uh, the best avenue at this moment in time, and that's another reason potentially why Marco Silva is getting a, what I would consider to be a stay of execution. We've seen the club in the past fire managers and then kind of lurch on with an interim basket, yeah. like like they did on the Cooman, with Unsworth as caretaker manager, and that kind of led to a bit of bit of hesitancy they didn't really know which route they wanted to go yeah, down yeah, they yeah. failed to get marco silver the first time obviously didn't they and um that eventually led to the appointment of sam allardyce so i, I think they are trying to learn from those past lessons and that's wise to do so i think it, it's no good firing a manager if yeah. things are going to be even worse in the interim yeah absolutely yeah. so that's the first thing to say and i think the second is that i believe that Machiri obviously is the main decision maker yeah but we have to assume the director of football, Marcel Brands will feed in and Bill Wright, mm. even though he only has a 5% share in the club. Mm. He's still the chairman. He's still on the board. He is still going to have his say as well. So you've got three guys there, uh, all of whom yeah. may well, I mean, if you ask the question to me and you, who you want to be Everton's next manager, we may well come up with different answers. So If you add a third person into the room and get them to give their say, then they might suggest something different. And it all depends on what your vision is for Everton Football Club now moving forward. Do Everton need a firefighter? Do they need somebody to come in and stabilise and say, actually, we're in a relegation battle here. We need to get wins under our belt quickly and we need to hire, say, David Moyes. And there is an element of romanticism for some on the board because Moyes is associated with a positive time. Yeah. Marcel Brands, though. Is Moyes and Marcel Brands appointment? I'd argue not. I think you, you look at what Marcel Brands does with with players, and I think he would look to do the same with a coach. I think he'd like to hire a young, progressive manager, mm. probably from the continent, but if not, somebody from these shores as well. And then you had Farhad Mashiri who, when he came in, spoke about Hollywood managers. So <laughs> you've got three visions there. It, 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 it may well be that they will eventually come to a decision yeah. that works for all of them. But these things could also take time to resolve. And I don't know if you agree. I just think it's about what that vision for Everton is going to look like. And it needs to be unanimity.
0: Absolutely. And that's the issue. It's like, you know, the the fans, you know, can't agree between ourselves when we're talking about like who we think should manage or get the job. But, you know, that's speculation and conjecture to an extent, you know, they're at the top to make a decision for the best of the club. I mean, I, I despair when I see people like Mark Hughes, name, bandied around. And I suspect, you know, in a way, that's probably come from Keir Jirapshin, who represents him and I know has Mashiri's ear on occasion. I'd like to hope, mm. well, I know really that Mashiri would would have sounded out how that would go down and, and he would have been told in no uncertain terms that it was not going to be a popular appointment with, with the fans. Mikel Arteta, I think, could be a risk worth taking, but whether he... And the club view that as a risk worth taking at this stage when you're going into potential of a relegation fight. I, please, I don't want that to be what we've got mm. to look forward to for this season. But yeah. certainly at the moment, they're, they're, they're down there and they've got some really challenging fixtures. Eddie Howe, again, You know, it depends what direction you want to take and would he walk away from Bournemouth at this stage in the season? Uh, and Benitez you know probably eye wateringly expensive to 12 million
1: reportedly yeah. annual uh, well, salary I've been, I've, in China
0: yeah and I've heard reports even in well in excess of that <laughs> uh, he's either the richest manager in the world or the third best paid manager <laughs> in the world so that's another option altogether um, who knows we do know he'll be in charge on Saturday and as you and I have been doing pretty much for the past month or so we're going to take it on a report by report basis yeah. exactly. <laughs> as the club take it on a, on a game by game On a more positive note, this week we published our Everton team of the decade on the Athletic. I don't know if it suggests how like-minded we are when it comes to the Blues. It was worryingly really easy for us to do this, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Was, there was no
0: major fallouts.
1: <laughs> the one we had, to, I think there were there were two positions I can think of where we had conflicting opinions.
0: Yeah, well, talk us through the team first, and then we'll we'll go into that.
1: All right. So, so in goal we went for Tim Howard. Yeah. Who I just felt was a part of some very good sides under David Moyes, a really good servant for Everton Football Club. And he obviously played a role on the international stage. Mm-hmm. Jordan Pickford for me a very, very close second. Yeah. It, it was it was a 60-40 decision in my head. Back four Seamus Coleman, Leighton Baines with the fullbacks, uh Sylvan Distan and Phil Jagielka at the back. A good partnership there, a partnership we've seen many a time in in blue in a blue shirt. The midfield was a little bit more complicated. I think mm-hmm. there were there were a few kind of a few issues here to, to kind of get through. So we had Mikel Arteta, Stephen Pinar, Marwan Falaney, Idris Gay, Tim Cahill as the number ten yeah. and Romly Lukaku up front. I mean the process here, we both effectively picked our own elevens, didn't we? And as far as I'm aware there were nine yeah. that we had in common. Yeah. So we were battling over I, I originally said John Stones and you said Sylvain Distan. That's right. And then in midfield, there was a big dilemma over Idrissa Gay, Gareth Barry, Marouane Fellaini, and how did we accommodate these guys into the the picture? I mean, I've already had a few responses to my tweet on, um, well, obviously on social media, from people that have read the article and have seen the team graphic, and I I think a few were highlighting the absence of Gareth Barry. So, mate, I don't know. Have have we got that one wrong?
0: No, I mean, again, I think it's... Understandable people getting a bit confused, but it's worth emphasising this was team of the decade. So we're not saying it's the team of the Premier League era or the, the the noughties. It's from 2010 onwards, obviously with with the new year approaching. Um so let's have a look at some of the responses to yours. Um that's a team, just the right balance of nasty snide and class footballers, says Robbie. Has to be a bit of snide in there. Who's given us the... Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. And maybe that's... Maybe a bit of a comment about the modern team or the present team. Um, Well, 52% uh, kind of raises the the, the discussion that we had with Barry or Guy Mm because that's what we were saying. And he says, Barry ain't 100% first name on the team sheet, he says. Uh, And then you asked him, didn't you, over Guy or Fellaini? And he is just absolutely team guy with Barry all day. And I must admit... You know, I really do appreciate what what Barry brought to that midfield, and he, I just like so often the players haven't signed. If only we'd got him a few years earlier, he's a class act. But you won me over by guy in the end. Yeah, I
1: I just thought if you looked at his record over the period he was at Everton, he was constantly at the top of stats charts for tackles and interceptions. There, there was a time when I would say slightly misguidedly there were comparisons with N'Golo Kante. I yeah. think they're different players, and we're seeing that now more than ever. But Idriske, even when he didn't get his move to PSG in January, after that, he knuckled down. Uh-huh. We believed there was some kind of gentleman's agreement where he'd be allowed to move in future. And he knuckled down, and I think... That six-month period for me under Marco Silva, when Everton were playing really well, was probably some of Gay's best football, technical football, yeah. progressive football, yeah. in, his, in a blue shirt. And Everton signed him for $7 million, took advantage of a, of a release clause when Aston Villa got relegated, mm. sold him for just under 30. And now... And he was
0: just 30 years old as well. So.
1: Well, yeah, good resale value if you think about it and probably the last chance Everton had to cash in. From that perspective, and I don't know if you've seen much of him this season in the Champions League for PSG, but he's added a new dimension to that side. Admittedly, in a slightly different role, where he normally plays to the to the left or the right of a midfield three. I just I thought he was a fantastic servant for Everton, a great signing. And that spirit and sheer desire to re, to regain the ball was, mm. was kind of what did it for me. But I do accept, by the way, that Gareth Barry is very unlucky to miss out here because he in a different way, a very cultured footballer and part of some
0: good Everton sides. He is. A couple of uh, re- replies to your tweet. USM Blue 79 says, I'd swap this stand for Les Scott, regardless of how he left. Him and Jags were best in the league for a year. And Keith Tomo says, Les Scott was a better defender than Distan by quite a margin. Um, I don't dispute how good Les- Julian Lescott was. We I don't think we left him out because of the way he left the club. No. Um, he, he, he was fantastic uh, for a couple of seasons, really, uh, alongside Jags. And I think this stand for me, just gone... I mean, Lescott scored goals as well, didn't he? He also left in 2009. And the fact that he left <laughs> in 2009... Thank, thanks for that one there, mate. Before we go further... Yeah, nice one, USM, Stu Blue, seventy <laughs> You've made the right mug of me there. Um, but yeah, good shout. He probably was better than this, stand, but I'm afraid that's not the game. He was,
1: hey, he was a very good player. I, I think if he had left in 2011, he would be in that team for me.
0: <laughs> Scott Broder says, he could argue Kale was a spent force by 2011.
1: You could. I think that that's fair enough. And maybe... We were both
0: governed by a little bit of sentiment here. Is that is that fair to say? Possibly, or maybe as a couple of other r- replies have mentioned, just emphasises the positive options and attack we've had since then. Really, um, yeah, just yeah. Even when he was a spent force in terms of maybe he was picking up more injuries and maybe his stamina was was dwindling, he still had that needle and that will to win and that desire. That well, you know, if you if you read the piece that Paddy and I pulled together for the site um, for Wednesday. Feels like it's lacking at the moment a little bit. Mm. Um, up front, really, again, symptomatic of our woes to an extent. Uh, Luckily, Kaki wasn't perfect. On On his day, he was an absolutely f- fantastic finisher. On his day, he had a first touch, like, you know, <laughs> some in Sunday league. Um, he could be a little bit temperamental and mercurial, and kind of it didn't help that he was always talking about his future away from Goodison Park. But you look at the records, and, and the last striker. Uh, in the Premier League era, sorry, to to score 20 goals a season. Mm. Says it all, really,
1: doesn't it? Wasn't he was he second-top goal scorer in the Premier League in his in his final season? I think he got 25 goals yeah. that year just in the Premier League. Yeah. And when you think about it, I, I don't actually believe that that was a particularly creative Everton side. I remember looking at it and thinking there was a goal against Manchester City away where he kind of rampaged from the halfway line a down goal, the flank. Wasn't it? Yeah. Unbelievable goal that people don't really speak about that much. There was another goal, admittedly, in the FA Cup where he dribbled past half of the Chelsea defence. Fantastic night at Goodison, that one, and a good cup win for Everton. And I just don't think any other striker in that era gets close to replicating what he did in front of goal for Everton. And of course, again, huge resale value. I think it was 75 million, rising Mm. potentially to just under 90 Mm. when he was bought in for, I think it was 28, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I remember the summer he signed permanently when he was actually still represented by Christophe on on Rote, uh, mm. the Belgian agent. And I was coming out of Finch Farm, so saw Martinez in the car park and it was after the presses had been done announcing his signing. and We were just chatting off the record really and he was just saying, that, you know, he was exhilarated to get the deal over the line. He said, but this is, this is a big one for me. This is a lot of money for the club to invest. It was our record at the time. It was a big mm. transfer. He said, it's got to come off for me and it did. I mean, obviously, yeah. circumstances didn't, in the end, pan out for Martinez, unfortunately, but Lukaku, as you've just eloquently articulated, was value for money, massive resale, and did the business while we had him. We, well, we absolutely haven't found his replacement no. yet, have we? And that's part of the problem that silver has got.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it is. That there's still no long-term successor to Romelu Lukaku, and I think Ronald Koeman, after Martinez tried to go down a different route, he looked at some of the better strike forces across Europe. Mm -hmm. And instead of having one guy that was going to get you 20 to 25, he looked to get three across the forward line who would score between 10 and 15. And the numbers there still stack up. It's just that Everton haven't been able to do that. Even now, you yeah. look at it and you think of the forward options. There's probably only Richarlison, yeah, who would get you ten to fifteen. He got thirteen in the They're league not last never season.
0: Scoring your double figures, unfortunately. And I hope he proves me absolutely wrong there. Yeah. Walcott hasn't done it yet. but he had a little flurry of form, didn't he, before the whole team sort of like struggled recently. But I think you're right. In a way, it feels like that's been such a tenant of Everton's attack. A centre-forward who's responsible for scoring the goals has kind of fallen out of favour as as a sharing it across the front three. And partly why, I guess, Silver had that little spiky mention, didn't he, of, of Moise Keane being a, a right-winger <laughs> when he scored yeah. for Italy. Um, but he's a centre-forward, but he's a right-winger. So I think this debate carries on because quite a lot of managers don't really play with an out out striker anymore.
1: No, and the, the other thing, the, the one difficulty I had when I, I was compiling my team to put to you yeah. was in thinking about wingers here, and I just realised that there was a, there was a real paucity of options well, yeah. on the on the wings. In a decade, and definitely. I mean, you you raised Moyes Keane's position there. What is he? I personally still think he's a centre forward, but yeah. I mean, continuing the theme of wingers, there weren't really many options to choose from. Kevin Morales, maybe comes under consideration <laughs> to an extent. Maybe maybe that's just I because I met e- him a few weeks ago. Yeah, right? lovely, lovely guy. I can nice. sense blood boiling on
0: uh, some of our listeners at this point.
1: Yeah, he, he was. He, he's obviously one of the few wingers that have stuck around yeah, and yeah. scored goals for any length of time. What, not Christian Atsu? Not Christian Atsu, not Diniar <laughs> uh Who else throughout that period? I mean haven't been many after if we, really, Gerard no. de Dalafayo I think for a while captured the imagination of Evertonians with his ability That's to drive forward yeah. with the ball yeah. but he seriously couldn't have been in this side no. not really no. so we've ended up with I think we've ended up with Pienaar on the left it's and diamond, Arteta on Arteta on the right kind of it in a diamond yeah. and I think because it's a diamond we just about get away with that and I mean Steve options on the wings anyway
0: Absolutely, I'll tell you what if, if that if that team was going to Leicester and, and to Anfield next week, I'd be in a, a lot more confidence, what do you reckon on um, all these brilliant players we've been mentioning, What about our flops of the decade, I and mean, I mean, this could be a separate podcast, we were joking with Tom, our producer before, but we could really <laughs> we could really extend your, your evening or morning commute by talking about this, flops of the decade I mean, where'd you start? Um Go on, have you got names to spring to mind straight away?
1: The, the trouble I have with this is that overall, Umar Nias, for example, he's not a good footballer, He and you could say he's been a bit of a flop, yeah. But that being said, there have been times when Everton have needed somebody to step up and to score goals by hook or by crook, and in, in some cases, he stumbled over the ball into yeah, the net, yeah. Yeah. but he has done that and he has scored those important goals. I, I remember that game when Marco Silva ironically came yeah. to, to Goodison with Wofford. They completely blew Everton away yeah. for about forty five to sixty minutes. Mm-hmm. And Silver um sorry, not Silver, yeah, Allardyce turned Allardyce, to the bench and he was able to see Nias, Calvert Lewin and those guys. Mm. And Nias made the difference in some big occasions. So most people will be screaming, I think, when they yeah. listen to this. Umar Nias, Umar Nias. In some in some some levels, yes. I I think technically He's not up to the standard required yeah. to be a Premier League player, but that is a little bit of mitigation. So i I would like to look beyond Umar. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I would like to look beyond him. Yeah. Who, who, I don't know who oh, else. Sandro Ramirez. Sandro Ramirez has to be right up there. Yeah, for for a star,
0: smaller outlay in terms of transfer fee, but for what we'd hoped to see, uh, albeit yeah, a young guy, just. Completely anonymous, completely ill-suited to the Premier League.
1: High wages as well.
0: Yeah, massive high wages. One hundred and twenty yeah. grand a week. Around, definitely around a hundred. Which we're still dealing with yeah. the legacy of that now because he's still effectively our player. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what a, did he score? Well, he did score once. He scored once in a, in a Europa League qualifier for the. Oh no! In the group stages against a dead rubber. Yeah,
1: in a five. One defeat, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, not yeah, a memorable yeah. strike. No, anyway, Never looked like scoring in the. Pre- in I the mean, Premier you League. interviewed him recently. Bear say Davy Klaassen.
0: Don't pick on. <laughs> don't pick on our Davy. My mate, <laughs> a nice guy again. Yeah. but yeah, well, but yeah, uh, you know, arguably a flop in terms of certainly his time at Everton. You know, Ajax captain before he was twenty-five. Dutch international. I couldn't have argued with his signing when he came over. But again, talking about people who are ill-suited to the Premier League, and to give him his due. He had the humility and the sort of self awareness to say he just felt he wasn't he wasn't cut out for the Premier League. It was Mm -hmm. he said it took him by surprise, the old cliches, but for him very true how fast and physical it was. And he again, in terms of misfortune, you know, the manager who signs him, he signs him in the July. Coolman was sacked by the October. Then he deals with Unsworth, who effectively just looked straight through him, wasn't interested in him. Allardyce numerous times told him he didn't have a hope in hell kicked off on him when he hadn't managed to join Napoli in, in that January uh, of uh, 2018 sorry, and just wasn't going to pick him as he said himself memorably to me he'd rather have picked someone from the under 12s than me and then Silva comes in and at least gives him the credit You know, looks him in the eye and says it's not going to work here and gives him all summer to find a new club but he's quite happy at Bremen but yeah I guess it has to be a flop the problem was the people who were choosing and doing the recruitment wasn't it?
1: Well I, th- I think that the message that I take from this conversation, really. You, you look at Sandro Ramirez, who had a good pedigree in Spain. He was wanted by Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid yeah, at yeah. one point. Played for Barcelona himself and there were, there were links when he was doing so well at Malaga with Barcelona again. Davy Classen's another one shining in the Europa League and in the Eredivisie for, for Ajax. Everton have signed players who have had good pedigree, but they've not always... Found the right fit, and yeah. I think it's even if they would signed somebody with a little bit less talent, but who had the kind of the pace and the energy, or yes. yeah, yeah. Or, or the the ability to play in the Premier League, that would have mattered much more than Davy Classen, who was a bit one-paced. Yeah, Sandro Ramirez, who couldn't play with his back to goal, couldn't play with his back to goal, and that's such a big part of being the lone striker up front, and yeah. in in English football in the, in yeah. the Premier League, given. The tactical trends we're seeing. So that's the message, I think. It's that you can actually sign good players, and I still think Davy Klassen certainly is a good player in yeah. my book. He's doing well in Bremen. Yeah, he's yeah, doing well yeah. in Bremen, and actually if he continues to play well, he won't be
0: that far away from the fringes of the, the Netherlands squad again. Just to wrap up on Silva again, um, underlies the, the challenge. He's got off, you know, away from his control. You talk about misfortune, you know, he denied the or, or rather we can see the ridiculous penalty of Brighton should have won the game, should have a penalty against Tottenham and could have won the game and the injury list he's got, there's a lot of mitigation in mm. the situation he finds himself in, I, I feel. Um, yeah, but that was absolutely. good that. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed the episode one. Yeah, I I,
1: I I enjoyed it. It was it's definitely nice to speak about some of those good Moys teams and some of the better players from from the later years. It's always good to kind of look back fondly on. Yeah. I mean, even when we were writing this up and discussing our picks so many times, one of us would, would think back to a Leighton Baines free kick. The yeah. double he scored, oh, the two free kicks he scored West against Ham. West Ham. And that kind of nostalgia, I think, is needed maybe now more than ever, yeah. just because of the way things have been on the pitch in recent weeks. It's nice to, nice to look back on positive moments, to look back at yeah. key figures. Um, and there are still a few of them around the club yeah. at the moment, On and they? And
0: Arteta, you know, just think back to that goal against Fiorentina and just... I saw somebody... Someone called it... I was reading an element of the coverage surrounding him being uh, thought of as the next manager and I think Pep Guadalupe was quoted as calling him a holding, holding midfielder he was a lot more than that he might have been no. at Arsenal but when I was kind of like intoxicated by him he was playing on the right of a midfield and before his injury this was he had fullbacks absolutely twisted blood going both feet inside outside just an absolute delightful footballer to watch. and um, One of
1: my favourites. One of my absolute favourites. Unbelievable. Most,
0: most, most of my favourites are in this team, so <laughs> you can kind of see the bias there. Well, that, that was the first episode of Glad Tidings, a weekly podcast dedicated to Everton Football Club. It's one of 11 shows released by The Athletic this week, including the Ornstein and Chapman Show, where David Ornstein and Mark Chapman bring you fresh insight into Jose Mourinho's return to the Premier League. To download that and many more, Go to theathletic.com and subscribe. Enter the promo code UKPOD, that's the promo code UKPOD, for a 40% discount.